Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us. And uh, we're, we're in our studio closet. You're not in your studio closet, but... Uh, um, but it's nice. Oh, to, it, it's really it means a lot for people to take the time. We don't we don't take it for granted or expect people to, you know, uh, give us time freely uh, without it being uh, of some value. So hopefully you get something out of this conversation too. But uh, but uh, I already am. I was like, you guys always get like artists and stuff. I'm like me. Yeah. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> that Elaine bit is gift. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Right, that's right. So, so okay. <laughs> Well, one of the things I kind of, you know, uh, have always just wanted to sort of ask you, and then now you're you're a captive audience, so we can talk to you. This is great. Um, you, I think, stand out from a lot of journalists that uh, that I see in the MMA space because <coughs> what you're doing, I think, is uh, in, in the same way that I think that, say, someone like Lou Thomas is sort of teetering between um, journalism in this kind of modality that he he will never ascribe himself to be. You are definitely more uh, uh, in the journalist of uh, idiom, but at the same time, you are not uh, unwilling to rap or um, put into play your personal feelings about a lot of things. Uh, and and it's not like you're even trying to be subtle or overly tactical about it. And I love I love that about about your work. Um, and so for those who are listening who don't know. Uh, Fernanda's work basically um, there's a there's a an outlet called The Athletic of which you are the uh, one of the many great writers there and um, uh, and then The Athletic we've talked about a lot because The Athletic is doing a very different thing uh, in the sense that it's it's a paywall so you have actually long form pieces and more thought out things and perhaps in your case uh, more of a, a medium uh, for you to do what you want to do, um, and I'm wondering, I guess first, you know, since you are sort of in that space, uh, how do how would you re- relate what you're doing with the athletic versus, say, like what you were doing with, uh, say, um, I guess MMA Junkie or other things in the past, um, and then how do those things sort of, how do you keep those uh, that thread sort of alive, right? Because you've had to sort of adopt different modes to be in. So I guess I'm just curious about your experience at The Athletic first and and how that relates to your being what, in MMA journalism for at least a decade, right? So. Yeah, uh, it's very weird. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just now learning to navigate those things because like for the longest time, what I was taught and what I heard was that no, feelings are bad. Like, you're not supposed to be doing that. Like, no, this is not what we want from you at all. (laughs) You have to be more objective. You have to be this and that. And I, honestly, that's like what turned me off to journal. I didn't want to be a journalist. MMA, like I went to school for journalism and I was going to finish it and just like try to find something else to do. But then (laughs) MMA happened. I was like, just let's give my dad the degree that he wants and be like, hey, dad, I graduated, have this, I'm going to join the circus or whatever but um but i just i i I didn't like it because of that like i didn't like reporting i never liked any of that and every job i held was kind of because of mma and mma went like started dragging me along to these different types of occupations (laughs) so i did pr i did um uh, I did PR for like two years, and then I was a producer uh, at a channel in Brazil called Sport TV, which is part of the big glo- global conglomerate. Uh, then I did Combat, and then I went to Junkie. So I was kind of like trying these things out and trying to find out what um, communicated with me. And 
to answer your question, like the, the stuff that I did at Junkie was very much like the day to day, right? Like I had a, a set shift, like I would have to be in front of the computer at a certain time and then would have to, you know, do whatever happened and I have to be quick and just get these things out. And <laughs> there was space if I wanted to do different things, but, um, it, you know, like I could maybe write a cool story. Like I, I would find a good profile to write and things like that, but the audience was so different. Uh, and there was never a lot of space for me because I was working with Ben, who Ben Folks, who I'm working with now, and he was the guy doing the columns. Mm. So that wasn't my beat. Like that wasn't what I was doing. Uh, and then I joined the Athletic, and I was shocked. <laughs> I was invited to join the Athletic. Like I said, like it's just such a talented group of writers, yeah. and I felt the same way. Like when you guys invited me to the podcast, I was like, me? <laughs> you sure? <laughs> Okay, I guess. Right. Since we're doing this, I mean, I don't know why, but since we're at it. Uh, And getting there, like, what I had to find out real quick was like, okay, I'm surrounded by all these super talented writers, and they all have their strengths. And I'm never, like, this is not my first language. Like, I'm never going to be as talented a writer in English, like, as Chuck or Shaheen. Like, this is... This is what they do. And I, I think Ben has like his talent, which is to be super concise about things. And, you know, like all of them have had these like sort of strengths and, and, and things. And, and I was like, OK, so what can I offer? Like what? Why am I here? And I started putting a little bit more of my perspective and a little more, more of my feelings, which I already did on Twitter and everywhere else. I've been known as, to be an opinionated person for a while. But, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, a little bit, yeah. uh, to just a little. Somebody would call a little bit TMI and unfiltered. Yeah. Some would say yeah. a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, that's when I kind of started being like, no, maybe I can do this in my work. And it hasn't been that long. I've only been there for a few months, but uh, I started getting the feedback real real fast and, and people actually like that yeah they were like no I, i'm interested in getting your voice here and that was like it has been like just a mind-blowing concept yeah. that you know oh i have a voice and people actually want to hear it that is insane <laughs> but i'll roll with it this is cool <laughs> let's do it so this is what's happening right now you're still like witnessing the very early stages of my <laughs> of my my writing right now yeah. I, I still have a few things to figure out but i'm really enjoying this process of just like if I'm writing something and I want to like put myself in there I just do and I just trust my editor to be like this is too much I don't like this or whatever and it has never happened so this is where we're at right now so cool <laughs> it's interesting I just uh, when I was uh, on the way over here I was listening to um, uh, Joe Rogan's uh, interview with Ross Ahabi that he had about two weeks ago and um, and it's 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 a uh, it's a cool podcast. I always love when those two guys are talking to each other. They they always have so much to say. But right in the very early part of that podcast, if you just watch like the first fifteen minutes of it, they get into this cool discussion all about uh, creativity. And of course, Faraz starts talking about being a coach and working with fighters and fighters trying to like. Uh, you know, like at the very beginning of learning how to do you know, these various martial arts skills, they're being required to learn, like how the right teacher or the wrong teacher at a certain time is going to shut down some kind of an instinct that a fighter has that's, 
you know, maybe it's a bad instinct and maybe it needs to be shut down. But in other fighters, it's like, you know, the like the instinct to keep your hands low or the instinct to uh, circle the wrong way or something like that. You know, he points out how Muhammad Ali would circle to his opponent's strong side, which is fundamentally wrong. But you're going to tell Muhammad Ali he was doing it wrong. Obviously, <laughs> he knew something more and his coaches were smart enough to say, no, yeah, you've got this is something we can do. So I think it's interesting what you're talking about, because to me, it reminds me very much of exactly that same thing we see in fighters as they develop their own voice, so to speak. Um, you know, that they, that often, you know, there's going to be rules that are going to be broken and, and fundamental things that you're going to challenge as a result. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And that's what I'm learning now. And I think a part of it is having an editor that I trust because now I work with Dan, who was my first editor at Junkie. And uh, I knew when he brought me along to be part of the athletic, he was putting a lot of faith in me. I mean, he was building an all-star team. I didn't know it at the time. Yeah, all-star. Yeah, all-star. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, let's go smash mouth. Let's break all the rules. Uh, we we already did, went there. They did talk about global warming before yeah. everyone else. Yeah. So I, I am a fan. I had to give them that. <laughs> uh, but back to what was it before smash mouth? Oh, yes. Yeah, Yes. So part of it is like having an editor that you trust. And that's something else that when you're working uh, in an environment like MMA Junkie, and I do not ever want to wish like trash them in any way, because uh, I was surrounded by very talented, good people who I and that was such a priceless, priceless experience for me. But like just the dynamics of it you're churning out things everybody's just like trying to keep their heads above water the editors don't have time to really look at what you're doing to give you feedback to be like you have to really prove your work a thousand times because you know they won't have the time to to go over it so mm-hmm. the whole thing was just like you there wasn't a lot of freedom i managed to develop because i was in a sort of privileged position because i was a brazilian correspondent that I was given a little more time to do things. Uh, it was still not enough. I'm slow in Portuguese. I'm slow times two in English. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but like you couldn't really trust your editors in a way that you wanted to, not because they weren't good editors or because they didn't want to help, but they just have so much on their plate. Mm-hmm. And now I get to work with somebody closely. Like Dan is just there, and I know that he's not going to let me publish something that makes me look stupid. I know that, you know, yeah. I can absolutely trust him to be the one to, to do exactly what you're saying. And I do find that that's absolutely valuable to be the, the one to be like, oh, that's a vice and a crutch and something that you can do without. Yeah. Or no, something that's weird. Because sometimes it'll be like, uh, I think I wrote a story about pregnancies. Uh, I wrote about Mackenzie Dern yes. coming back. Uh-huh. Talked about uh, Caitlin uh, about... Um, I talked about Elizabeth Warren, Serena Williams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like when you started talking about Kylie Jenner, I honestly yeah. did not know where you were getting at. And I was yeah. alarmed. But then, yeah, then you found it. So so I, you have to have that trust on somebody. And that's why I sometimes feel for a lot of these writers coming up because um, they don't have that. Yeah. Well, I you mean, know, that's, you, that's, go ahead. I don't know, just because it's cool that they have these, like, you have so many websites and the spaces where a lot of people, they're not getting paid, which is unfortunate. I think that we should all get paid for our creative labor. And that's something I learned late in life. I did a lot of unpaid creative labor for many years, but 
but you know, uh, they're, it's cool that they're coming up and they're able to express their voices, but sometimes I look and I just, I feel like they could benefit from having that hands-on editor and the dynamics yeah. and the way things are working. We don't, most of us don't have that luxury, you know, and I don't take it for granted at all. Even if I get fired tomorrow, like all those months that I've been able to have it, I really, I know that it's invaluable for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about the the piece that you mentioned where you were talking about uh, Mackenzie Dern and for those who don't know Mackenzie Dern, um, uh, she uh, was sort of a, an up and coming uh, and becoming sort of dominant, uh, you know, uh, somewhat fighter and, and really highly regarded in the media for a lot of reasons, her looks for some reasons and for her fighting ability for other people and any number of things in between. Right. But she was just this thing that uh, was really uh, a focal point for a while. And then she all of a sudden announces that she's pregnant and all of a sudden there's this. On one half of it, you know, people sort of saying, oh, congratulations, that's great. And then on the other side of it, uh, people saying like, oh, well, you know, uh, that's it for me or whatever. Like you mentioned in your article, like people just saying like, yeah, I'm unfollowing now or whatever. And it's like. Yeah, she said she lost, I don't know how many Instagram followers after she announced she was pregnant. And it's like. Yeah. After you're the, not surprised, <laughs> but you're still bummed out. I just loved how you were like, I'm not really a mom, but I. you were sort of alluding to like, but she did just grow a human inside of her body. <laughs> and then now she's fighting, uh, you know, four months later. So give it up a little bit for that. But I think it's cool that, um, and I would imagine for you even... It, it's probably a, a powerful place to be like, I'm a, I'm a woman and I'm a female that can write about these things in somewhat of a, you know, more uh, placed or authoritative uh, position, right? Because I mean, I'm sure that uh, a male could see a lot of those things, but there's, there's the identification and the power of, of a woman's existence that resonates when you're talking about something like that, that is not, uh, I could have exactly the same opinion and outlook as you and write nearly exactly the same piece, but just knowing that it came from, you know, somebody that's a little bit further uh, away from that actual experience uh, means that it's not quite as authentic, perhaps, or whatever, which is, you know, uh, good and bad. But but I guess what I'm curious about is, uh, oh, and by the way, like my, I went, I meant to mention that my, my mother was an English as a second language teacher for her whole life. And so I'm very familiar with uh, the challenges of having English as a second language and what that means. And so when you talk about the challenges of of writing and and uh, all the things uh, in a second language it's it's really amazing so I, I think that for you to have the this sort of uh, outside of the United States perspective and at the same time uh, have uh, a female perspective uh, it's a no-brainer that that uh, the athletic I think would bring you in uh, to have a little bit of that fire and a little bit of that perspective and a, the things that you bring to it so I, I think it's you know, as a loyal subscriber or whatever, you know, I, just, <laughs> I think it's badass. And and then like, you know, and your podcast is great too. And for those who don't know, it's called, uh, well, actually. And, um, and I think that, uh, you're able to articulate a lot of the same things in, in, in your, your podcast, uh, that you do in your writing from, I think a place of a, a real authenticity that, I, that is really appreciated and really, uh, I, I think valuable to, to any outlet. So it's cool to see how this is sort of all, uh, come come to pass f for for you and it, it's probably nothing more than you know it's like with any creative thing if you just have to do enough iterations and end up in a weird it's almost like relationships right like you got to date a whole bunch of weird different types of people to start to figure out like yep. okay that is something <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you're never figuring it out and you're just dating right. a bunch of fucking weird 
best people, but let's not go there because it's not that type of podcast. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. So now we would like to talk about your personal life. Uh, and, uh, okay, it's just sad. Let's just make everybody sad. They can just follow me on Instagram because I talk a lot about that there. They can just be sad with me there. It's just, when people say I'm relatable, that's what they mean. They're like, oh, you just said sad and sad. Like, you're just as depressing as the rest of uh, I don't know if I'm interrupting you about no, like if fine. you had, just, yeah. <laughs> because when you mentioned like it is uh, it is a responsibility that terrifies me uh, and at first it terrified me to the point where it paralyzed me like there were subjects that I wouldn't touch because I didn't want to be the woman talking about that because mm -hmm. it was like I'm the only female voice here so people are going to take this as gospel and it's mm -hmm. like I'm speaking for all women here <laughs> and it's, I thought you were it's I mean, right? Like, no, let's have, every, like, let's have a woman on the podcast to talk on behalf of women. Or like Brazilians. So how does Brazil feel about this? I'm like, Brazil is kind of huge, guys. I'm, I'm one tiny portion of Brazil. But I, would, I was so terrified because, like, I'm talking, I'm tweeting. Tweeting is so easy in a way because like you can just throw away some thoughts and then you know I'm, I'm tweeting about these big things and these big feminist concepts and just kind of like putting my perspective out there but then the minute I'm putting it to text like I, I'm making it official you know and I was really afraid of that uh, mm. that piece on pregnancy I was terrified because I'm like I'm not a mom even as a woman like I'm not a mom. So what if a mom reads this yeah. and it's like outraged? If a single mom hates this, like it's done for me. I'm just yeah. going to cry for a full month. <laughs> so I was terrified. Like, I'm always terrified. I'm a, t I'm a scared person. I'm terrified of everything. I keep telling Dan that he should save all my emails because if I'm ever <laughs> famous, like it would make for a fun anecdote because I start every email like – it's okay if you hate this. I'll just move to Zimbabwe and start a new life under a new identity. Like, I'll just learn to make jewelry. Like, it's okay. It's okay if it's trash. Just yeah. let me know. But uh, so that was a big responsibility that I felt. And that I think is cruel now upon women. And I think it's uh, it's horrible because I think it's it stunts the growth of a lot of us because like it's a learning curve for everyone right and i keep talking about like uh, having women commentators in sports which is something that in brazil like it's rare i mean except for particular sports and it's usually like a former athlete but like uh soccer which is something that is just so huge in brazil and so typically male like you started having women doing these things and doing comments and I don't think there there is like a single female narrator there's one who's just starting out in major uh, in major channels and you, you have this responsibility of if you suck people are gonna look at you and be like no women can do this job it's not you that can't do this job like right it's like women so uh, as a sort of a voice and I don't I don't think I am but like just presenting those perspectives felt really heavy to me it still does but at first it was in a way that I was kind of like I don't even want to do this like I don't because it's it's too much like I, I was scared now I'm starting to go there little by little because I'm getting good responses but it's still like it's still a heavy sort of I don't want to call it a burden but 
with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's something I take seriously. It's not something that I take lightly at all. And I that's why I always try to be open to criticism and to feedback from those groups that I'm talking about because it's easy for like white men to look at it and be like, no, this is like I have a particular hater at the athletic, Gary J. I mention him a lot because I've elected him as my nemesis and I just <laughs> like hating on him. It's just you gotta fun. have a nemesis. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he's a white man. Like, I just know. So he's going to hate what I do. But I, that's why I try to, like, be mindful and try to, like, really pay attention to the feedback of those people that I I am speaking on behalf of just because of the circumstances. It's it's cool, but something that I'm just now starting to get a little more comfortable with. Interesting. So you know, for me, I think that um, that's got to be a very interesting challenge, of course, right? You want to sort of be responsible about it. But at the same time, it's almost like a symptom of the larger problem, which is why, why is this such a big deal? Just do your thing and just speak from your perspective and, and whatever. Like, why does that, the idea that there's this irrational, perhaps somewhat irrational kind of, um, uh, pressure about, uh, you by default being this female perspective, uh, it's almost, I'm I'm not here to say like uh, an opinion or advise you or something, but it feels like in a way it's almost like, how about just fuck all that, right? Like just do your thing and, and whatever. And you, you're not in a position of responsibility as much as uh, you are. Uh, it's a weird uh, no, place. I get, I get what you're saying. And I agree with you, but first off, it would take a normal person to feel that way. And I'm, <laughs> not like I'm naturally neurotic uh, so there's a little bit of me (laughs) like there's just a little bit of me there but uh yeah I think some people are more able to do the fuck it thing uh perhaps because of their personalities perhaps because of their experience and I think I I might after the space feels a little more democratic too Mm -hmm. Uh, but I get what you say. I think it was uh, Tina Fey who wrote in her book something about like do your thing and don't care if they like it. And I was like, yes, that is so inspiring. Let's do that. And like the minute I start writing, I'm like, no, no, this sentence, no, no, no. <laughs> that is good advice, but yeah. uh, it's advice that I'm just starting to follow. I think with my podcast, I'm I'm getting a little, I'm I'm getting there a little bit. Yeah. It's and. I'm finding a little bit more success and even the feedback. Cause it's like you try it and people are like, Oh, I like that. I'm so like, okay. Maybe yeah, I and Joe, just Joe is that. a white male. Like what are the challenges you face as a writer? I mean, well, I can tell you very, it's, it's really easy for me to say, fuck it and just do what I want. <laughs> but it is, and that's the it's thing. incredibly and easy it's, for it's, me to just do whatever the fuck I feel like doing because nobody's going to challenge it. <laughs> or, or make me feel responsible like... for all American men. No one's ever thought of that. <laughs> but no, I appreciate what you're saying about that stuff. And I also feel like, like it's only, I mean, it only makes sense to have women and women from Brazil in particular, um, <laughs> representing a sport or, you know, covering a sport that, actually includes women 
in the sport. You know, it's a, it's a, it, the, I mean, UFC, for instance, especially MMA in general, is kind of weird in that way, where you have these organizations that include both men and women, you know, in the same sport, obviously not competing against one another. But, but nonetheless, they're all a part of it, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. of course, there should be women covering the sport. And of course, it should be international people covering the sport as well, because it's, an insanely international sport. We had Josh uh, Rosenblatt on our, uh, on our podcast just the last time it was the last podcast. And, uh, and he had written this article about uh, Trump's reception at the D was it the DC? No, which, which one was it? Was it, it was before the DC event, right? Well, he was at, anyway, Trump showed up recently. Josh wrote a piece about the fact that people were surprised that he wasn't more warmly welcome. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. the whole, the whole gist of the piece was, do you understand how MMA works? It's like, it's, <laughs> it's really next to, it's the only thing I can think of is soccer in terms of its international appeal and its international, you know, cast of characters that are just people from all over the world competing all over the world in these, you know, various uh, organizations that stretch all over the world. It's like, it's, it's beyond diverse. I mean, it's international global sport, you know? So somebody with, you know, the Trump's profile doesn't really match up very well with that. And, you know, but it only works in people's heads when they think of it as, uh, you know, that human cockfighting, you know, and these like people who lack this, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then they think, oh, well, those kinds of people are the same kind of people who would have voted for Trump. It's like, you don't really understand the sport. You don't understand the people who compete in it. You don't understand the people who look at it and enjoy it or why they do. And actually, now that I'm ranting, I'm going to get back to you <laughs> and a question. And I wanted, one of the things I wanted to know from you is how did you get involved in liking MMA? Brian and I, you know, often feel like we're weirdos because we're like hanging out with all these art and music people and stuff and then we're like do you like people getting kicked in the head and they're like what because <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm gonna go watch that like i'm, I'm gonna go to an art opening on saturday night and i'm gonna be looking at my watch because i gotta get home because 245 is gonna be on right and I, yeah. i'm not missing that right so yeah. so how did you get how did you become a fan of the sport when many people might say why would a girl enjoy watching this horrific shit Oh, not just a girl. Like, I have – it was a shock to me and to everyone around me. I was – my entire family, like, everybody was just like, did she hit her head? Like, something happened. Because I was never into sports, like, period. Like, I was never into sports. I was nerdy as fuck. Like, that fat kid who was bullied as shit and got the best grades in school and, like, most promising. Like, everybody (laughs) thought I was going to be something cool, Mm -hmm. like a scientist. And I actually wanted to be a history teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, that was, like, my one, uh, my first idea. But then my dad was like, maybe you want to get a real degree. (laughs) And I already wrote. And I went into journalism and I did not like it. But as I said, I was just going to be like, I was just going to get it over with, get the degree. And then, uh, but, you know, like, I I was going to do, like, I like culture, movies, TV. Uh, I also liked international, like, maybe I would be Christian. I'm poor if I was going to stay with journalism. Like, I, I had, like, big goals in mind. Uh, either way, I was, like, never, never sports. Like, they were never part of the conversation for me. And then I started training Muay Thai mm. uh, casually to lose weight. <laughs> like just like a lot of people do like mm-hmm. um actually did it did one class with my older sister and her teacher was like well you have a knack for this like maybe you should try uh doing it a little bit more and i never 
did well with physical exercise, so I just started doing it. And then from there, I started doing jujitsu because it was in the same place. And the conversations were very fight geared, and I just started like paying attention to the conversations. And then I started like right, and then as a nerd, I started watching because I wanted to be better at whatever I was doing. So I was uh. like, okay, so if I'm gonna like train Muay Thai, I need to learn how to do this. And I started like watching videos to try to like get better kicks or whatever. And then I just started watching MMA and I loved it. <laughs> and I started watching and it was insane. Like nobody understood. No, it made sense to no one. No one. I, I decided that I, I found out my, my family launched an investigation and they found out that my great grandma, she used to bet on boxing. She was a big boxer. You got the same gene. <laughs> so my family, that's what they were, what they were able to trace it down to. My great grandma was a boxing fan and maybe that is why. But, uh, so I just fell in love with it in a very weird visceral way like it just it, it quickly became an obsession for me uh, I was with my first boyfriend at the time and we started watching together and training together so it became a thing that we did together uh, but then I sort of like got a little bit too into it for his liking <laughs> and started getting a little weird for him uh, I started that, that was it I just fell in love with it and I think I happened to be at the right place at the right time because I was about to graduate and I had to get an internship and I started working for this big newspaper in Brazil called Jornal do Brasil it was one of our biggest ones it went bankrupt it went back I don't even know where they are right now but they were one of the biggest papers in Brazil and they were about to go bankrupt so the interns did a lot of the heavy lifting so I was working as a journalist really and I had started watching this weird sport that was doing good numbers because that was like uh, I remember for instance interviewing Damian Maia right after the whole Anderson Silva fiasco wow. at the and I you know we had space and I was there and I was interested and I like writing a lot so I would do like two pages on Lyoto Machida who was my first MMA obsession I was right obsessed on. Yeah. with one of mine too is in terms of just like <laughs> we're, this guy's from outer space and he drinks his own urine what's going on here <laughs> I'm intrigued I don't know what is happening but I'm, I'm curious keep it going but that was kind of how it started I feel like it was both the obsession of just being so uh, drawn to it for some weird this or reason and being professionally at, at the right place for it. So uh, right after that, I started writing that, then my editor at the time had a blog that he just didn't really have the time to man maintain. So I joined the blog with him, started writing for the blog. And because I was in a print paper, like it was valuable space for PR, it was just like gold. So I was pitched good stuff. Like I got to interview Anderson Silva at a time when a lot of people just wouldn't really have that access. So yeah. I had a lot of access. I look back, I was like, my first six months of MMA, I was talking to Little Nog and Big Nog and, and you know, all these people, Demi Maya, Anderson, Lyoto, Shogun. Uh, so it, it all just like went from there. And I just, it became an obsession real quick. And like you said, I, I became that weird person who's like at a party. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I love I love the idea that uh, you started off in this sort of naivete and just kind of excitement. That's really, you know, I think the best, most organic paths that people get on come about in that way. And I think about even for me in my younger, uh, like when I was in my early 20s and, you know, I, I had just moved out to the West Coast and... Uh, the next thing I know, I'm hanging out with these legendary jazz musicians like, oh, I'm hanging out with the, the guy that played drums with John Coltrane. 
and I, I'm just, and I have, and I'm a more like I'm a moron, you know what I mean? But, uh, but the thing is, is that uh, what I learned in that time, and maybe I'm curious to see if you had any of these experiences early on. Um, when I was in that time, some voice inside my head said, "Pay attention to this, even though you're an idiot and you don't really, you know, like." You're going to say and do stupid things, uh, and uh, you're not great, but listen, pay attention, be mindful of where you are right now, because this is a very special uh, thing to sort of regard. And, and um, I remember um, when I was talking about the drummer for John Coltrane, this guy, Elvin Jones, legend of legends, in terms of, you know, I played drums, or whatever, a lot then especially, but... Um, he, I'm talking to this guy who's done the, some of the most magical music that's ever happened in the history of mankind no exaggeration and he's talking about baseball he's talking about you know and so i most of the heaviest lessons that i learned from the heaviest people that are doing the biggest things uh had nothing to do with shop talk about you know like w what you're doing it was all in the anecdotes and 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 as i'm older now and i look back on that they were not being aloof I think that they were being very uh, like on one hand, I'm sure they're just tired of talking about what they do all the time. Right. But it's yeah. also like, I, I do believe uh, that, that, that there was something in the spirit of a lot of people I met in that time that uh, where they're trying to, they're trying to impress something upon you or shape you in some way, even if it's by deliberately, almost awkwardly not talking about the things that you think you should be talking about uh, yeah. in that scenario. So I guess I'm curious in, in your experience with, uh, being in this, you know, immediately thrown to the to the dogs, right? In this way that's amazing. Did you have an awareness at the time that this is something really special I need to pay attention to? Or were you just kind of trip-falling your way towards success? <laughs> yeah, I was uh, face. I'm still an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I still feel like I'm trip-falling my way to I don't even know if I would it's, call it success. But I'm just it. like, <laughs> yeah, fumbling around in the dark and fighting stuff. But uh, one thing that that I it's a, a bit of a different experience. But one thing that happened with me that I feel like really ended up helping me to where I am today. So I did I worked for that newspaper for a while and then I stopped and I started working just for doing other stuff like professional journalists, like getting other internships and just trying other things. Um, and in the meantime, I was just doing like stuff for a website. Uh, my second boyfriend owned a, uh, uh, an MMA website. So we did the podcast. I did a podcast with him there and just started like, it wasn't my professional life anymore. I was doing other things. And then eventually I got into PR and I started in a small company, but then I actually did PR for the UFC for a while in Brazil, oh, wow. uh, indirectly for, okay. yeah, I was working for a local company. And during that time, um, that's when I, was able to have these conversations because it was a different professional capacity. It was a different way that I was dealing with these fighters. So you started getting a feel for their personalities and for what they really are like, right? So I, again, I was very fortunate in all my experiences because I got to experience all sides of it. I got to see, uh, you know, the fighters that I interviewed and then I got to see these fighters be being interviewed by other people and I got to see like so many sides of it. And I feel like all of it, uh, in, like you said, talking about all this stuff that didn't really relate to their fighting, you know, just like this, all of this, seeing all these sides, like gave me such a different perspective. And I think, and that's something that for years I didn't really find valuable. 
in my life, in my professional life. When I started working for Junkie, I was there for three years. I just felt like so green and so inexperienced. Like, because I wasn't, I hadn't reported since that first job. And, you know, MMA has a lot of like scoop driven type of thing. Like, oh, we want to announce Fighter X fighting Fighter Y in Stockholm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. so <laughs> bored by this. Like, yeah. this is not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to do it because it's like, can you confirm this? I'm like, hey, manager person, can you confirm this? Mm. Like, mm. It's like the MMA uh, weather report. It's just like, yeah. yeah. It's just so boring. Yeah. But some people are into Somebody it. Has to some do people it, are but good I get at it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you do you, boo, to each their own. I think there's space for everything, but it wasn't my thing. And I just felt very unprepared. Uh, for what I was doing. I was like, okay, so I don't have experience in this job. Like, so I'm bad at it. So I'm the weak link. I don't know how to do this particular (laughs) job. And it took me a while to be like, no, I actually have this type of valuable experience that is playing into this right now. And uh, again, I'm just now starting to kind of like understand where it all fits. But I do think that being on that side of things early on really helped me have the perspective that I do now. But it was fucking weird because I was like 21 and I started as a fan. So I was still starstruck a little bit, you know, by people. So it was just surreal for me to just be like, I'm just walking around with, you know, Shogun's belt and helping him like get coffee. (laughs) Like just act casual, just act like nothing's (laughs) happening. uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I did met, I did have those early experiences and I don't think I realized at the time that they were happening that they were going to be uh, important, uh, but they are now because when I write about something, like I feel like I have a better feel uh, for what that who that person really is. I have to respect the boundaries, of course. I was still dealing with them in a professional manner. I was not their friends or their family, so I... I I'm very careful not to cross that line or not to assume that I know who these people really are. But having another side of the professional life helped me build all this, helped me build a better portrait. Like, I feel like I have a 3D portrait rather than just a flat painting. How about um, like when it comes to the fact that you've actually done some training and done some, you know, Muay Thai and done some uh, Jiu Jitsu, how much of that informs your ability to write? Honestly, because I've never competed, I don't know if it influenced me that much. I think it made me uh, really appreciate what it means for these people because it's like I I have been doing Muay Thai. I haven't done it in a couple of months, but for 10 years on oh, and wow. off. And uh, I got good at it technically, but I was never able to compete. That's okay, though. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I, I did not have it in me. And the person would punch me in the face and I'd be like, <laughs> terrible I don't want to do this and I would punch them in the face and I'd be like no I'm not comfortable with this either like this is just horrible all around so it just started making me I went to jitsu like I gave up after one one and a half I got the blue belt and I just stopped Uh, (laughs) because I was like this is so cerebral this is so intelligent like I'm coming here to get to distract myself and to have fun and this isn't fun. This is like hard. This is- <laughs> so it informed me in that way that I started like really getting an appreciation for what that means and for what like right. competition really means and for what these people are actually 
um, putting themselves through when they decide like to go to a competition. So in that way, yeah, I think if I had ever competed and I, I do want to like have an amateur Muay Thai bout at some point in my life, just like a bucket list type thing. But uh, I don't have that, that perspective, but yeah, I do understand, I guess what it's, I do understand what it takes for a person to be able to do right. what they do and it takes something special. Right. I think one of the things about it too, is like, I, I think any writer in any, you know, medium, you know, uh, even a fiction writer or a poet or anything like that, it's like everybody's coming to all those things with their different little toolboxes. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think, you know, you don't have to have experience as a PR person to do the things you're doing, but it helps, yeah. you know, and you don't, you certainly don't have to train martial arts to write about martial arts and appreciate the martial arts. And also it does give you that extra perspective that might help you describe something better or help you understand, you know, the nervousness that happens before a fight or something like that, that the person who hasn't actually been in those shoes, you know, they won't be able to understand it, at least in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's those tiny things, right? Like after a while you see them building up and it took me a while to realize that I was actually building something because when you're living it, it just seems like you're not paying attention to it. Now looking back, I'm like, Oh, okay. So these are, I was building things even when I thought it was just wasting my fucking time. With this thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say that our podcast in a way is sort of like that because it came about very, organically it wasn't like um how do we you know we weren't like hey let's start a podcast what would you like it to be about or how something? can we meet fernanda yeah, right, right. Yeah. let's start a podcast it'll take two years, yeah. take two years. <laughs> but uh about but, 77 episodes and she'll be on so it came about very very honestly and it, it was definitely something where we had no expectations about what it would become but we um, we had a, an inkling for this sort of thread or through line that we were sort of on. And we just thought, well, we're just going to, without thinking, we're just going to go down this path. And, and it's sort of like going to the gym every week or whatever. Like you're, you're just going to get better at what you do. Uh, or hopefully we're getting a little bit better at it. But, <laughs> but I think it's more about like the home starts to find – you start to find a home for it, right? And I think yeah. that um, – uh, in this weird sort of crossover sort of space that we're in, you know, what I've been trying to articulate, I think, even when we had like Chuck Mendenhall on and some others is that, you know, I feel like that there's, I'm so glad that we're doing kind of a video accessory to this so I can do hand gestures, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so I feel like I if, if the MMA's, uh, MMA media space is sort of here, I feel like there's a new sort of concentric uh, boundaries starting to form around what mm. has not been there before uh, that is that is sort of, I think, a space that we can uh, begin to sort of uh, experiment with and play with because uh, yeah. inevitably, you know, you think about uh, fighters themselves, we've had a lot of, you know, we've had fighters on that are doing very creative work, writing, you know, boxers that are writing books, you know, it's like, what? You know, really? Like competitive, <laughs> like professional you know, athletes that are, that are, you know, they, and they want to talk about their book more than they want to talk about fighting. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying but, to get Patty Houlihan on. Oh yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Uh, who was it who wrote a great story? I think it was Chad maybe, or was it Chuck? I think it was Chad who wrote a great story about him for us. And yeah. he seems like of such a fucking interest. I'm sorry. I swear yeah. a lot. No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a great character. Totally. Go so, ahead. so I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, I feel like that there's, I'm interested to see what happens over the next year or two, because I really do believe 
that some new folds are starting to emerge in this kind of organism that is uh, all of the fight-interested uh, combat sports world. And and I believe that there's such an incredible correlation between creativity and fighting. And so, like, I, I don't, you know, I don't train. I'm not a fighter, but I'm always fascinated in picking the brain of people that that do something like that because I feel like I can use. If I learn a deep, more deeply um, about what somebody's doing to prepare for a fight, or I learn more deeply about what compels them, uh, or what adversity they had to go through, or whatever it is, I feel like there's always some nugget of that that I can take and apply to my own pursuits. You know, like oh, I'm going to be making, yeah. this, I'm going to be making this project next year, and I really don't know what to do, and I feel very uncertain about it. And it's very inspiring to see, um, you know, people in a different realm with much uh, more pressure, real pressure. Like, oh, if I make something that sucks, that's like, so what? You know, uh, <laughs> if I, right. you know, there's, the, the implications are very small for, for my failure. But um, then you're thinking, like, yeah. what if this was Lawler Rory, too? Yeah, yeah. Like, what would I do? <laughs> yeah, for, for this- I just fucking stare at him yeah. and keep on fighting. <laughs> right. Like, like, what would Derek Lewis do with this, with this uh, video art installation? <laughs> <laughs> it would just be like two, two, spherical, <laughs> two spherical balls hanging, <laughs> and then they're these r- balls are too hot. <laughs> they're, they're, they're red. Yeah, it's light like, bulb moment. How would Ortiz talk himself out of this whole <laughs> this argument that makes no fucking sense? <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that's, I think, and I heard your episode with Chuck and that's something that you guys touched on that I thought that I could really relate to is that, uh, and that's, I think, what kept, what has kept me, in, kept me in MMA for this long because, you know, there were times and I was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Uh, <laughs> but that these are like such rich stories and such rich, be- like it takes something to be a cage fighter. Uh, yeah. Period. Like, it's not something that anybody can do. So uh, you end up having these types of, like, oddly specific inspirations. I, f- I feel the same way. Like, this person who has nothing to do with me, their personalities are entirely different, their backgrounds are entirely different, but uh, the way that they act and behave in this very extreme situations, like, it's so talented. And it's the small things. Like, sometimes it's one sentence in an interview that I'm like, that is deep. Like they might not know it's deep and I might not even know it when I'm doing the interview and then I'll go back. And I'm like, wow, that's deep. So I also draw inspiration from them. That's just cause it's such a never ending. Well, of just amazing, rich stories. Like that's the thing with MMA. Yeah. All of these people have like entirely different personalities and background, but there's, it's very rare to just like find a fighter that bores you to tears. It's happened. It happens. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, mostly like it's everything has a very specific type of inspiration. I think that's true for most things if you know where to look and how to look. But, yeah, definitely for fighting. Well, yeah, because I feel like that, like, you know, we, you watched this uh, like the, at the panel that they did. Uh, was that yesterday um, yeah. for 245? Um, I, I love the fact that they sort of experiment, right, with different formats and things. Mm-hmm. I didn't particularly think it was any good but that's just my opinion uh, because, like, well Colby was in it so it was I'm sorry I'm just yeah gonna, right no I mean but but, but, but you know, <laughs> when you th- when you think about um uh uh GDR and, and some of the you know the where they just have it's so amazing how that fighters can talk for three minutes and say just absolutely nothing you know, uh, <laughs> 
Nick Diaz. Megan O'Leary was like, oh, you know, who, you know, fan question. Oh, but he'll talk, he'll say absolutely nothing for like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> like the Paul Thomas Anderson of him. Okay, I'm going to stop talking shit about Paul Thomas. <laughs> no, I was just talking to a friend about Paul Thomas Anderson, so I'm just going <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, so, he's different. Like, he'll go on. I'm sorry, Peter Jackson is a more adequate. <laughs> comparison but yeah uh but if interestingly enough as you mentioned the gdr actually gave for me the best quote yesterday because when somebody asked like yeah because uh i think it was maybe john morgan who asked if she beat amanda nunes and um i'm breaking like podcast rule because it's going to come out after 205 245 but uh he he asked her if she like would um she would consider herself like part of the uh, got goat conversation the goat conversation if she beat amanda because amanda is obviously there she said oh no absolutely not and she started laughing no 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 no, no, yeah. no. i'll be the first to say she is the greatest but i'm just germane and i'm actually using that in one of my articles because i was like i'm just germane that is so telling that yeah. is so telling that this person here who had a belt we forget it's about to fight for a second belt is sitting here in front of all these people laughing off the idea that she would be in this conversation and say no no she's the greatest of all time i'm just germane uh so i was just that was a total side note but because speaking well, of the panel i think that's the format that i like you i don't think it worked all the way through uh but experimenting allows for these little brief moments of 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 brilliancy i guess yeah i just uh, i guess i just find myself uh inv- i envision myself sometimes if i was a journalist and i'm there i, I would get fired or told by like my credentials <laughs> would be taken so fast because i would just want to ask the weirdest questions that are because i and i i feel for the fighters when they're weight cutting and they're like you you see them they're like i am so tired of answering the same questions over and over and over again and my thing, I'm like, well, wh- how come those conversations, especially over a fight week, when it starts to really get apparent that they're just running their lines and they're just trying to get out of there in a lot of cases, you know, how is there not like a, a more, uh, how is it not that like fight week gets more um, maybe abstracted or more thoughtful in the way that the questions are asked? Because you've already asked people about their training camp or you know, and then like maybe just don't ask them about their weight cut because they're pissed and leave them alone. <laughs> and, then, and then just you know like maybe get them to a happy place. Like uh, I think, yeah, I think know, the, the I think the weight cuts also like the hardest. I mean, the, yeah. the talking to the fighters in the middle of their weight cut is is it's almost like talking to the fighters after they've been KO'd. You know what I mean? And they've kind of yeah. stopped doing that. It's kind of like, guess what? We don't have to talk to the other guy. We'll talk to him next week on Aero Hawani's show. <laughs> yeah. We'll get some rest. We'll get some scans. <laughs> you know, and then, and then we'll talk to that guy. And I think it's kind of the same thing with the weight cut. It's like, can we find something else to do during that time so that – we only talk to these guys after they've made weight after, even if, I mean, maybe they're still depleted, maybe they're still tired, but they've made weight and their fucking pizza's on the way. And now's a great time to talk. (laughs) But then that's that's when there's access and where people are clicking on it. So it's like, Uh you're stuck in this uh, unfortunate situation. And I, I'm still, because I still do five weeks though, now a lot less, but for junkie, for instance, I would get there and on Wednesday I'd have to like talk to eight people. Mm -hmm. Right. 
six or six or eight people usually. And uh, in building my questions, I ran into that same freaking dilemma because I'm like, I don't want to ask him this. I need to ask some of the same things, right? Uh, because it's what people are interested in. Like, so you have you you have to like sort of fulfill that that particular need. But uh, I was one of those people who were also tortured. Like, I think we've established I'm a tortured person, but like who. <laughs> try to go out of her way to just like make these questions a little more interesting because I was always in my mind like I don't want them to keep answering the same thing over and over like it's unavoidable they're gonna have to answer questions during their weight cut and you feel bad for them but it's kind of like and then you have to ask ask them about the weight cut and then they're gonna be like no it's going great but you know it's not going great but they can't say it's not going great and then when they don't make weight people are like but you said it was going great and then you're like god damn (laughs) this is a terrible cycle what what?" i i lived there with mackenzie dern when she badly missed weight in real everybody knew she was missing weight we looked at her and we're like this is a person who's missing weight but i had to ask her about that and then she did miss weight badly. And then uh, my story was used as sort of like, oh, she said in this uh, interview that she was tired of talking about her weight, but that she was going to prove people. And she said in a very nice way. She's a very personable uh, human, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, she was like gonna gonna th- that she was going to, you know, prove to people that she could make weight. And then when she did and everybody was like. But didn't you just say this? And I'm like, oh, and I asked her that. Like, I started to feel bad. <laughs> I was like, 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 I should have answered that, but it was my job. Yeah. We go through these things. The panel uh, in particular is different. Like, I had one-on-one time, so I had some liberty. Uh, I was, I even mentioned it on Twitter. Like, I interviewed Alex, Vol- Alex Volkanovsky uh, when he fought Aldo in Rio, and I managed to ask him about Harry Potter and <laughs> fun things like that because it was just me and him, and it was on a Wednesday, so it still wasn't the cut wasn't still as bad but on a panel you have to limit it you only get like two questions so they have to be like the most relevant questions and sometimes they're the questions that get asked over and over and you know i like you i i I like that they're experimenting with new formats i like the idea of the panel but it's just kind of like a weird situation to navigate all around and it can get so repetitive Mm. for us and for them so you just kind of like at one point you're just like i'm sorry i had to interview you but they paid me to be here so (laughs) i have to show them something sorry Sorry. what uh what harry potter (laughs) what uh harry potter house is volkanovsky a member of I would say he's a Hufflepuff, don't you think? <laughs> he said he's supposed to be a nerd and a virgin. I would, that would be my my guess. Is that how it's called in English? Because the names are different in Portuguese. Yeah, Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he stood up. He stood up yesterday for all nerds and virgins in a very exactly very proud. That's of, uh, Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff yeah. That's Hufflepuff all I, the way. I, <laughs> See how how quickly I answer that? I just think that it's a no-brainer. <laughs> So, um, you know, we're going to probably wrap it up here pretty soon. Thank you so much for the time. But I do have a couple of things to sort of uh, hit you with that are very unconventional, uncomfortable, uh, controversial questions that you're – you, you, oh. you, 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 <laughs> Way too easy into that. Very smooth transition. I'm feeling very relaxed <laughs> right now. No, no. Go ahead. I actually, Can I have a shot first? No? I, I just okay. – I actually lied. It's not that at all. I just was curious about um, – <laughs> If you have any, uh, like, like when we talked to Chuck, you know, like we, we were able to sort of get from him that he really would like to sort of write the definitive, uh, you know, sort of MMA book in the spirit of some, uh, you know, boxing books and things that have happened in the past. Do you have, it doesn't have to be wildly aspirational. I know that you're a tortured soul and that, 
Uh, <laughs> really, just your daily survival is quite a quite a, a, a success on its own. Um, that is very much me. Yeah, but but everybody's got you know everybody's got something back there, right? Like I'm just wondering if you have something that you have uh, in your not bucket list, right? But something you're you're really really wanting to do that you know is is a, another journey or, or something. It could be related to MMA. It could be a different creative path. It could be anything, but I guess I'm just curious if you have something that you're sort of having in your pocket right now that you want to embark on and perhaps you're not starting yet or you're just getting started or something. Wow, that was a hard question. Uh, I'm tor- My tortured soul is crying. Yeah. So, and, and by, uh, by the way, therapy sessions count. So like, that's fine. <laughs> I actually, yeah, this is like free therapy. I love it. Can you have me every week? Uh, so I, for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a commentator like a caller commentator. Um, and I felt like that was the thing that I wanted to do. And recently, like I kind of grew out of that. I, I, I mean, if it's there, I'll take it. But um, <laughs> in terms of just the life goal, one thing that I always wanted to do was to write a book. And I felt always struggled with what I would write about. Like Chuck for sure has to write the definitive yes. MMA book. Like I have no doubt about that. I was listening to the podcast yeah. and I'm like, yes, that needs to happen. <laughs> uh, but I think I want to write a young adult book. Oh, right. Because one thing that I always did, and I think I always, I still do is like, I practice radical empathy. Like that's my one philosophy in life. I don't have many of them. This is one of them. And one thing that I always try to do is like, show people that it's okay to fail, that it's okay to feel bad, that it's okay to feel out of place, that it's okay to be miserable and sad and all those things because being human is fucking weird and, you know, stressful. So I want to write a young adult, uh, the young adult book that I wish I had read when I was 13 or 14 because I had, like, horrible teenage years. So if I had to, like, pick one life goal for me, that would be it. At one point, writing a young adult uh, book that could be a novel. I never tried writing fiction before, so that would be interesting. But um, yeah, I think that would be it. If I were to pick one goal, that would be like the one ambition that I have. But it's nowhere near started. Like it's hopefully at some point I'm gonna get started on that. Well, we're gonna uh, hold you to it, and now it's it's in the public sphere. You've you've promised essentially to do it. <laughs> Uh, no, you're not my target audience. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like I, I you don't know what I read. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, Big Twilight fan. I can tell. I can tell. Well, I, I had a conversation. I know a Twilight fan when I see one. <laughs> I, I had a conversation with. Uh, I think it was me. I like my, the werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Such a Jacob. I just knew it. <laughs> the the the. There's so many things that I wish that people had told me when I was young in a particular way uh, that mm-hmm. I did not get. And, you know, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, actually, about how even even into like your early 20s, right? Like it's, uh, um, it's hard because you are getting the insight to start figuring out that kind of like everything all of a sudden is bullshit. You figure out that like everything that you've been – bought and sold and everything about what you, you know, the, you know, this, uh, I love the fact that, you know, another way that MMA parallels life, Joe, is that the merit- meritocracy is dead. 
in MMA and also in every other capacity of life mm. or business or anything ah. else. Right? The, mm. the, 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 it's McGregor real, is a symptom. Right, but it's really... <laughs> but it is like sort of modernism versus postmodernism that keeps kind of like coming Whoa. back around, right? So this whole idea... That's a UFC 246. Right, it is. <laughs> right? There's like the hard work and progression versus like everything's amazing. You should just cut the UFC's promos. Like this is... Modernism I think it versus postmodernism. Yeah, I can really see the average just like a huge joint to be like this is about <laughs> this is about postmodernism. <laughs> i mean they do respond to joe rogan so yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so so uh but i guess the, i love i love that that's your your quest or your goal because i do think that there's uh uh, the long way around, right, is the Harry Potter thing or like extensive sort of deep fiction world building things. But ultimately, I, I kind of wish somebody handed me a book <laughs> and just said, you're right. Everything is fucked, you know, but <laughs> but it's actually exactly. going to be fine. Relax. Like that's mm-hmm. that's whatever says that. I mean, if, I, if somebody tells you that today, I'll take it. Like, I'm taking it now. <laughs> just after hearing this, just after this conversation. But yeah, that's a, that's kind of like what I want to do. Because as, as a teenager, I was sort of like the negative person. Like, and I didn't, I felt really out of place because I felt like, well, people are happy and I'm not. So I'm wrong. Uh. And then when you grow up, you're like, nobody's happy. Somebody just pretend. <laughs> like some people just better at acting at like it. Yeah. So, or some are just like very stupid. Uh, which is, <laughs> I would take that, but unfortunately, that's that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so Joe, do you have anything else before we cut out? No, it's so uh, it's so great to have you on, and I'm so glad you took the time. And uh, uh, again, goal accomplished. The whole podcast would led us to this moment, and uh, I'm happy I was here for it. Yeah, I'm glad to be the apex of your existence. Exactly. This yeah. Is like podcast weird. over. <laughs> um, My professional life has led me here too. All those right, ten yeah. years of MMA, just to be here with you guys. So, so obviously, uh, everybody listening should understand that uh you should subscribe to the podcast well actually and you will not be disappointed you might be appalled or um <laughs> you might be um, and you should angry. definitely and you should definitely get in on this uh uh now let me ask you a question real quick yeah. is your podcast behind the paywall or can people hear it without being uh subscribed to the athletic no, it's not behind the. It's okay. it was actually out of the MMA ones. The first one that was already born out of the paywall because it came in a little later, not because I'm better than them. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Take that, shocking <laughs> shock. That's right. With that's your right. fancy words. Yeah, yeah, You were yeah. there behind the paywall yeah, all yeah, this yeah. time. <laughs> Loser. The no, I know that their pay. I know that their podcast moved out. So I just wanted to make moved sure out. people understood yeah. that they don't have yeah. to be a part of the athletic to listen to your podcast, but they should be a part of the athletic because the athletic is rad and one thing i really like about the athletic as well speaking more generally about it is i like the way that i i've got like pinpoint curating going on where all i'm getting is like the best fucking takes on just the shit i want to know about and it's a delight so i i I really enjoy it and it was money well spent yeah, you can listen to me everywhere, but we do get bonus episodes behind the paywall. So there that's that. But I'm on and Apple, you're writing, Spotify. of course. 
Yes, and my very confused uh, writing yeah. that feels a lot like therapy. So if that's your cup of tea, <laughs> well, I really. I, uh, so please, uh, you know, keep us in mind, and 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 uh, and thanks for uh, being here, spending the time, and we will definitely have you back if you'll have us back uh, in in your life here. And thank you so much for. Uh, all the hard work because it's it, you've done a lot to get to this point and I get to only pay two or three bucks a month or whatever it is and enjoy all of it. Uh, it, it actually is a nice accentuation to my entire existence. I really yeah. appreciate it. And, uh, oh, wow, that's tense. I love it. It is really. Yeah. I mean, like, cause there's, I'm going to record that snippet and send it to my dad. Like, see that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get out not, to any of you. Well, we're, okay, we're having your dad on actually better. the next, we already, <laughs> we, <laughs> next week. we booked your dad. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I was going to say like ever since ESPN, ever since ESPN got into the, the sphere, you know, everything kind of got very chaotic and I, I had I had my like MMA media consumption like it was like I had it like laid out it was like little pills in little boxes it was like on Wednesday I'll be listening to this and on Thursday I'll take a little <laughs> MMA beat <laughs> you know yeah. and then everything got totally chaotic and I do feel like the the part of the antidote for me has been the athletic so yeah. it really does matter it really has made me happier as a human to get back on track with my uh, my intake of ridiculous amounts of media about <laughs> who's gonna smash whose face this weekend <laughs> you're such a, ra- a raven claw by the way <laughs> which one me yeah so, uh, by, the, by the way you don't know who we are i'm brian by the way and I'm that's joe. joe i'm joe i mean i could tell from the avatars but <laughs> i just uh, Gosh. not to like I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about why I'm. I I think that I was. My, the hat chose me as a. Um, uh, what do you, what's the one with the lion? What's the big one? That's what I actually am. I think I can't remember the, the name of it. Huh? Which which what's, one? What's me and Harry are in the same house. Gryffindor. I think I'm Gryffindor, but I'll tell you why. I, I on, on our own time, we'll talk about whether I'm actually Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. But I like the Ravenclaws, and I appreciate. I, I'm happy to be associated with the Ravenclaws if it has to be that way. It's a it's the highest compliment I could give somebody. <laughs> I do consider yourself of the Ravenclaw clan. <laughs> I do. I honestly don't know. I always thought. I, I think I am. But well, I try to think I was an edgy kid, so I thought maybe I was Slytherin, but uh, I, who am I kidding? I might right. as well be a Hufflepuff. <laughs> By the way, I've never, I don't know anything about Harry Potter at all. Nothing. You guys are just talking nonsense. Ryan's strictly muggle all right. the way. <laughs> look, look, I'm dealing with real life, you fucking morons. You guys are often like at some amusement you park. You have like all these... <laughs> you have all these intellectuals on the show, like talking about serious art, and then you have me talking about Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. We we needed to uh, devolve a little bit, so it's it's good. No, but uh, really appreciate it. Um, this is the longest sign off of a podcast in history, so thank you. Um, so we're just gonna we're just gonna go ahead and cut it out now. But thank you again for your time, and we will see you out into in the internet uh, ether. Enjoy the fights. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Take it easy. Yeah, thank you.
Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.